that's what we're also trying to do is create and lead a movement where there is that openness, where we're using youth voices to help educate adults and kids about how to be more grief sensitive, grief aware. Um, And that will hopefully, you know, that and everything else that's happening in the world continue to shift that conversation so that these these discussions, this openness happens more freely, more regularly. And at the end of the day, I can assure you that every single person is going to experience grief in their lifetime. And every single person is going to experience someone else's grief in their lifetime. It's like, why not get ready for that and comfortable with it so that we're all prepared to do it the best way we can? I believe that love is all around us. Love is everything and everywhere. I am love, you are love, we are all love. In our divinity, in our soul, in the truest and simplest form of our being, we are pure, unconditional love. Love is the answer to everything. Every week in this podcast, we're talking to incredible and beautiful people who will be sharing their insights and perspectives to help you find more peace, to help you come from a place of love more often, to help encourage you to be kinder to yourself and others, to help you create more happiness in your life, to help you feel more oneness with others, and to help you connect to your higher self. My name is Justin Court. Together, we will help shift the collective consciousness of the planet to be more loving, kind, peaceful, happy, empathetic, understanding, and accepting. This can only be achieved together. It starts with each and every one of us. We are one, and it's time we start acting that way. I am so, so grateful that you're here. I love you, I support you, and I'm here for you. Let's together create more love in this world. Let's do this. Today's guest has created a community and space that allows grieving children to embody a life full of hope and possibility through connection, compassion, and play. Sarah Darren is the CEO of Experience Camps, which is a nonprofit that transforms the lives of these children through summer camp programs and innovative year-round initiatives. They give grieving children experiences that change their lives forever. They create a space that allows these children to feel safe so they can be open and vulnerable about what they are experiencing. One camper said, and I quote, I would explain it as the best place on earth. The type of environment created at Experience Camps is truly something so special. And during our conversation, I was greatly moved and touched by what Sarah and her team are doing for these kids. And I'm sure you will be too. Sarah, thank you so, so much uh, for being here and being a part of the podcast. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled for the opportunity to chat with you today. Yes, I cannot wait really to learn more about you, uh, learn more about Experience Camps. Um, you know, we were talking right before we hopped on, but I, you know, I was checking out your your website, videos, and the space that you have created is um, 
is very touching and it's it's really incredible and to give you know kids grieving this space where they can feel amazing one of the videos one of the one of the uh, young boys said uh he felt like that was the best place on earth and i, ha- I happen to agree <laughs> but you know because they say that right i mean that's um we have a, a not even, it's an unofficial tagline, hashtag best week ever. Um, And we use that pretty liberally, but that's because the kids tell us that and it's become a chant, it's become a cheer, it's become a t-shirt. But at the end of the day, that's what they're experiencing that week that they have at Camp Beach Summer. And uh, it's pretty special. And if you can just um, let everybody know um, what Experience Camps is, what mission and purpose are, are you guys fulfilling, fulfilling there? Absolutely. So Experience Camps is a nonprofit organization that gives grieving children experiences that change their lives forever. Um, So that's our mission statement. Our vision, our belief is that we believe all grieving children deserve a life rich with possibility. So that's sort of our North Star. That's what we're striving for. What, What drives us every day is that belief that kids should be able to have the opportunity to move through their grief in a positive way. And we primarily do that through our free one-week summer camp programs that we run around the country. Um, We will have six locations next summer, 12 programs. We do a boys and girls program in each location. And that's really the meat of what we do. That's that's kind of the special sauce that we've been doing for, this will be our 15th summer coming up. And where we have learned everything we have learned about children's grief because they've told us. And now we're expanding with that knowledge and with that learning, what we call beyond the bunk, to try to create better ecosystems of support for grieving kids wherever they are. But we do that all from a source of what we've learned from camp and those experiences that have shown us what happens when you give kids the space to play and be kids and return to their childhood and feel all their feelings at the same time. You know, whether those feelings are joy or sadness or guilt or regret or all of the many, many things that come into play when a child is grieving. So we very intentionally open up the space for each of them to show up as their whole selves. And magical things happen when you do that with kids. I love that you embrace and encourage them to really feel their feelings. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think, you know, at least personally, the way to get through grief is to ignore the pain that you're feeling. Because if you're not being with it, not experiencing it, how can you work through it um, and start to shift your perspective on it and look at it in a slightly different way that can lead towards more growth and more healing and more positivity? Um, So I just love that. You know, and I'm sure that's got to be interesting with kids, you know, to really encourage them to to let loose and be open uh, and to share those experiences so freely with one another. It, it really is. And I think, you know, grief can be isolating for adults and for kids, right? Like it's something that people tend to lean away from. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. And then all those people move on, um, particularly for kids when they're around their peers, when they're around other kids, like kids don't know how to talk about grief. You know, if anything, they're going to ask questions about what happened, but they're not going to say, how are you feeling? They're not going to say, you know, what's, how are you, you know, how are you doing today? You know, some of the prompts that we would hope that adults might fill in because the kids don't have the developmental expertise to do that, but even the adults don't really know what to do. And I think a lot of times adults shy away from it as well, because they're like, oh, I don't want to upset the kid. I don't want to remind him or her that their person died when in fact, like, 
they don't need reminding. They remember, <laughs> you know, it's, it's right there for them all the time. And we're, we're doing them a disservice by not giving them that space. So when you do give them that space, um, you know, some of my favorite moments that happen at camp are we get to camp and we're, you know, get every, everybody off the bus and get everyone settled. And we'll literally be like walking up to the dining hall for lunch. And a kid will turn to you and go like, hey, my dad died. Who died for you? You know, it's like spilling out of them when they have the chance, when they know that they're surrounded by people who get it and are there for it. Um, so that's, you know, that's where, when I say the magic, like that is the magic. Kids understanding that they're not alone and not feeling isolated in this very unique and terrible thing that they've gone through. Hmm. It's got to feel like it's very opposite of what they're normally experiencing and it has to be the best because I, I, I highly doubt in their regular every day-to-day life, they're going up and asking a kid, you know, my parent died, you have a parent that died. Or have I experienced this? Have you experienced this? So to go to the camp right off the bat and know that they can be that open and to know that they're not alone, that this other kid that they're asking is going to have a similar shared experience that they can talk about. I think it's just, I mean, that's everything that's so important. It is. It is. And it's, it's interesting when I tell people what I do for a living, the instant reaction always is like, oh, that's so sad. That must be so hard and so sad. And sure, right? Like the, the abundance of grief and the abundance and the weight of loss is hard to carry. But when you're at camp, when you see what is happening, the release and the relief that kids feel in that experience, right, of being able to talk to everyone else there are far more dance parties than there are tears. <laughs> you know, we mm. are, and, and the dance parties are just, you know, raucous, like we're with arms waving. And, and those are the moments that stand out to me the most. Like when I think about all the times I cry at camp, which is quite a bit, um, you know, it's, it's those dance parties. It's watching this sort of wild release of joy that kids feel when they're given permission to just, kind of let all those things exist together. And that's the beauty, that's such beauty, um, that feeling of, of arms waving and connection to everyone around you. And it's, it's a really, um, it's really powerful to witness and to be a part of. And I think it's amazing that you are, you're opening the conversation about death. And you had mentioned before, like most adults don't really know how to handle the death of a loved one. It's just like, it's this, it's this difficult space that because I, I don't think, because we don't talk about it very often, if at all, mm-hmm. when it actually happens in our lives, we don't really know where to go or who to talk to or how to express it or anything like that. So to have these you know, children be starting this conversation at such a young age, because I, I really truly believe that we should talk more about death um, so that when we're faced with that obstacle in our life, we're just a little bit more prepared um, to face something of that level and to know that we can have other people to talk to about it. I have a, a, a really great friend and uh, every uh, Thursday night, uh, there's about five or six of us and we do a, um, like a mastermind call. And we do a Zoom for about an hour or two, and we just talk and express and talk about how we can be the best versions of ourselves and things that we're going through. And um, one of my friends who was on, her mother just passed away uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was so beautiful. She expressed herself so freely. And I, I know the space that that we have on that call is so comfortable for people to feel safe and to feel secure. And she was just 
it was beautiful to hear her express her experiences that she's had so far in, in dealing with her mom's death. Um, and one of the really interesting things too that she said that helped her the most, right? Because you'd mentioned you had mentioned before that you know some people are like they don't really know how to approach somebody with it. They don't know what questions to ask. Like, oh, how you doing? Like, I don't want to bring it up again. And she said the question that helped her immensely was that somebody asked her, so they found out that her mother had passed away and they were talking and their friend said to her, well, tell me about her. Mm-hmm. What was she like? You know what I mean? And yeah. my friend just, yeah, so that was just such a beautiful way. She got to just go back and revisit some of these amazing moments with her mom uh, and just talk about her in just this very freeing, um, beautiful way. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the prompts that comes up that we talk about too, is like, what was, what was their name? You know, yeah. same thing. And I've heard somebody actually just recently said to me that one of our volunteers who has been volunteering for a long time asked her that question. And she was like, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question before. And when somebody has died, especially a, a long time ago, like, when do you get to say their name? Right? It doesn't come up that often. You might be even telling stories about that person or you might, you know, your, your life with them might come up, but their name doesn't often in conversation. And even just that, just remembering, right? That's what people want to do. They want to hold on to a piece of that person and the best parts and the memories. Um, so being asked is so powerful. And that's, you know, I think people get overwhelmed and we talk about people not being comfortable talking about grief and death. It's, they're often afraid to say the wrong thing, which there's plenty of wrong things you can say. So that's valid. Um, But I think it's also just not having, not realizing that there's like those little things you can say and do. It's not a huge ask. It's not a huge thing to tackle being a grief informed, a grief supportive friend. It's those little things. It's marking on the calendar, you know, the, the death anniversary of somebody that you care about, somebody's person that you care about and just checking in. It's sending a text to say, like, just thinking about you today or on those holidays, like Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays, anniversaries, all the things just to say, you know, just thinking about you, like that little thing, asking their name, making space for that person or just letting them know that they're not alone in missing that person. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, again, most people will say, sorry for your loss, show up at the funeral, do all the kind of ritualistic things. And then it seems like to the primary grievers that everyone else moves on. They go on with their lives. And to the person who is grieving, that feels incredibly lonely because they are still grieving hard for a long time, if not forever. Mm-hmm. And when you are just reminded that you're not the only one kind of holding those memories and keeping them alive, it's really, um, it can be so encouraging and so healing for the person who's, who's carrying the, the biggest weight. I'm sure. And really the, the fact that you're getting those conversations started at such an early age for these kids, because I, I just think about in, you know, in all these situations where um, people may kind of stop reaching out or, and I think it just always goes back to us being so uncomfortable with death. If it's something that we never address, never look at, never talk about. So when it happens to one of our friends or a loved one, it's like, what do we do? Where do we go? There's, there's, there's really, at least for, you know, myself in this experience sometimes I'm like, where do I take this? What is the right thing to, to say? To, if it's like something I've never talked with anybody about before, how do I know what the right thing is to say to this person who is grieving? Um, and I think that's really just so simple. What you just said too, is just letting them know that you're there, just being there for them, letting them know that they're not alone. I think those can be like really simple ways, but really impact uh, important ways to, to really just give that person a little bit of an extra breath 
to know that they're dealing with this all by themselves. There's a, a, a I get the great fortune of being surrounded by some very wise people, you know, clinically trained people um, that really are immersed in the field of grief. I am in different ways, but, you know, kind of trained in this field. And one of them said to me once, you know, that the best thing you can do, especially in that first year, right? Like there's, there's not a lot. um, It's not like you can apply a lot of therapy in that first year. I mean, it's not that therapy doesn't help. It does for certain people, but for the most part, she said, you just need to walk alongside them. And just that, right? It doesn't sound so hard. It's just walking alongside them. You can't change. You can't fix grief. You can't take that away. Grief is a natural reaction to loss, period. Like that's a healthy thing. It's a healthy response to a loss. When you love deeply, you grieve deeply. You don't want to change that. You don't want to fix that. You want to walk alongside that so that person doesn't have to do it alone. You know, and uh, last night in uh, in the call that we had, uh, like, like I said, there's like about five or six of us on there and we all just let her speak. Like we rarely jumped in. We were just there to listen to her and allow her just to release all this energy and emotion that had just kind of been building up. Um, and towards the end, she was just so grateful and thankful. She's like, guys, thank you for just like listening to me and allowing me just to, to be here. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't have to, we didn't have to do much. You know, we just had to care about her, which we all do so much. And when you truly feel that way about somebody, I think it just really, really shows. Um, so it's just, it's interesting Death, you know, death and grief is, is, uh, it is a very difficult, uh, topic. And I think only through the experience of it or having these sorts of conversations, it allows us to be more comfortable and really be able to step up and be there for the people when they need it, uh, during these times. Exactly. Right. And the good news is I think we're getting a little bit better at it. Um, I think honestly, of, of <laughs> we're going to look for silver linings on having a pandemic and COVID and a lot of death during that time. It did make people, it forced people to be more comfortable talking about death and grief because it was everywhere. And guess what? It always is, right? But this was, it kind of amplified. It was more in your face in the news and social media. I think social media has given us different channels and avenues to talk about grief in healthy ways, different ways, right? We're doing it in social media. It's maybe not as direct of a connection, but it's a new type of connection. And, you know, who hasn't seen the announcement of someone dying on Facebook, right? Where then there's a hundred comments that follow of support. It just gives people a place to to connect in a way as well. Um, So I think we're getting better at it, but not good enough yet. Um, there's, There's more work to do. And that openness that, you know, exactly that experience that you offered your friend, that sort of healing circle, that sharing circle, as we call it. Um, that just, it needs to happen more if people need to feel more confident in that space. Um, and part of what we're doing, as I mentioned before, yes, camp, absolutely. It's kind of our, that's our bread and butter. It's what, what drives us every day. And also, as I mentioned earlier, taking all of that and extending it beyond the bunk, beyond camp. When I refer to those ecosystems of grief support, that's what we're also trying to do is create and lead a movement where there is that openness, where we're using youth voices to help educate adults and kids about how to be more grief sensitive, grief aware. Um, and that will hopefully, you know, that and everything else that's happening in the world continue to shift that conversation so that these, these discussions, this openness happens more freely, more regularly. And at the end of the day, I can assure you that every single person is going to experience grief in their lifetime. And every single person is going to experience someone else's grief in their lifetime. It's like, why not get ready for that and comfortable with it 
so that we're all prepared to do it the best way we can. Mm-hmm. I love that. And Sarah, what inspired this camp? How did this come to fruition? Um, so I'm, I'm often asked that question. I think most people assume when you are the founder of a grief organization, um, it probably came from your own grief. Uh, mine actually didn't. It didn't, it didn't originate that way. Um, I actually married into the world of summer camp about 15 years ago and found myself, you know, I hadn't gone to summer camp as a kid. So I found myself in this new environment an observer to something that was really um, powerful again to witness. And this is just a traditional boys summer camp, sports-based summer camp in Maine. And I was seeing as I was dating my husband and then marrying him, um, the impact of the experiences of camp, just camp, right? The, the friendships, the bonding, the community, the um, the character building, the confidence, all the things that happen at summer camp. Anybody that's been to summer camp and didn't hate it will tell you like that was their experience, right? And so many people go back year after year and stay in touch with their camp friends. Um, so I got to be a witness to this while I was still working in the corporate world. This was kind of before I shifted my, my focus to a different profession. And um, started to see and think about the idea of how we could offer this kind of experience to kids who otherwise don't get to go to camp for, for whatever reason. So as we were developing this concept and starting the paperwork for a nonprofit, um, there was a girls camp in Maine that reached out to us and said, hey, we're doing this bereavement camp for girls. Um, there's a lot of brothers. There's a lot of brothers of these girls. Is this something that you would be interested in doing with us? And sort of all the stars aligned, you know, it was one of those things. It wasn't something, and I find this often with non-grieving people similarly, it wasn't something I ever thought about. You know, again, I wasn't a person who had had grieved really at that time at all. My parents were and are still alive, my siblings. I hadn't experienced what these kids have experienced. So it, it just wasn't in front of me, right? But once it's in front of you, it's kind of hard to look away. It was one of those like, oh, of course, of course that should exist. I, I can only imagine, but I can't imagine how hard that would be to, to be isolated in that. So that first year, um, it was the first year we opened was 2009. And, you know, we basically were like, sure. Yeah, we'll do that. That sounds great. It already fits with kind of what we were thinking of doing and providing these, um, these camp experiences. And honestly, it was like going to be my side hustle. It wasn't even like a, it was a project. It was a, a hobby. I was thinking of, you know, kind of starting this little, this little camp. And um, so first year in 2009, we had 27 kids. Most of them were the brothers from that girls camp. Um, We brought back about 30 volunteers and friends of volunteers uh, from that were Manitou alumnus, the summer camp that we started in. And just, you know, kind of these great ex-counselors and campers who loved camp, just wanted to come back and give back. brought in a a clinical director who could kind of tell us how to do the grief stuff because that wasn't something, but we knew camp. We knew camp really well. And that was the foundation of everything. It's like, let's bring these kids together, make it fun and awesome and weave in the opportunities to, you know, these these bereavement activities and the clinical element, we call it clinically informed. um, And just, you know, bring kids together and let them connect and we'll see what happens. And that year, that week, that every minute of every day is so burned into my memory um, from the time the first feet hit the ground coming off the the white van that we sent to New Hampshire to bring the first two campers. Like now we have charter buses. Um, You know, the first closing campfire that 
somebody shared a story. They actually shared a letter to their mom who had died when he it was a counselor when he was 18. And I can still vividly picture, I mean, like the crackling of the campfire, the darkness, and the way that the whole camp basically like enveloped him at the end of this letter. It was like this 50-person group hug. And just the depth of feeling and the rawness and the emotion and the joy and the dance parties and the tug of war and all of the things that kind of wrapped into that week that we, I remember we, we finished that week at the end, kids all, all go home and we, we sat down in this building called the rec hall. And um, I think everybody just kind of looked at each other and we're just like, Oh my God, what, what just happened? Like that was, it was nothing anybody expected. Um, it was so special. Everybody, I remember people saying, let's not change a thing. Like, don't grow, don't change it. It was perfect. So um, we did, obviously. We went from those 27 kids and it just kept, it was like a snowball. Um, this year we're going to have, next summer, 2023, we'll have 1,200 kids around the country. Um, we've expanded and expanded and just kept trying to meet the demand. And it's like, I mean, obviously there, there's more demand than we'll ever be able to fit at camp. The numbers now are, there are 5.6 million kids who will grieve the death of a parent or sibling by the time they turn 18 in this country. So we are working as fast as we can, as hard as we can to serve them in all the ways that we can. We know that we're not only going to be able to do that through camp to reach the all, um, but that's why we're, we're getting creative about the different ways we can reach them um, and you know, just make sure that that other adults and kids in their lives are doing the same to support them. You know, maybe not as awesome as camp is, but in as many ways as we can. I'm just, I'm so really in love with the with the space that you created. Um, what do you, what, what is it? What, like on a human level, on like a level of love, like what is it that you have been able to create there mm-hmm. um, through connection, through just understand whatever it may be, like what what do you feel like really is at the core that has created the space? Um, I think it's the people. We have really good people. Um, I often say, like, <laughs> you don't find too many jerks at grief camp. <laughs> you know, like it tends to attract um, really good-hearted people, and we are, you know, pretty much entirely volunteer-driven in terms of the the camp counselors that come and spend a week of camp a week of their lives with kids with the intention everybody's similar intention of making these kids like ridiculously happy and giving space when they're not right so everybody's there with the same purpose the same hope and you don't see that in too many places in the world right like it's it's something real that feels good, I think, for everybody there. And they, they keep coming back and have created this culture, created these traditions together, created um, deep, deep friendships amongst each other. And I'm just talking about the volunteers, right? But when you, when you create that base of love and warmth and purpose, everything that grows from that, which is those camper experiences, that's the heart of it. That's where it comes from. Um, and the kids feed off of that. They see that they, they know they're cared for. They know they're loved. And even in kids that are coming from the most loving homes, you know, it's hard to be in many cases, a single parent or a parent who's also grieving, a caregiver who's also grieving. It's, 
the kids might not be getting as much attention at home as they are at camp. They come to camp and they are like our, our heroes. Every single one of them are celebrated and applauded. And they, we have these talent shows where they do the most untalented things, but we're like, oh my God, that was amazing because it is like one of my favorite videos. I was just watching this from camp this summer. The little kid dancing around like in a dinosaur costume. And like the hooting and hollering from the audience, like this kid was like, I'm on Broadway, you know, like it was so amazing to watch and just um, the support that they get in so many different ways and the high fives and the hugs and the care. Um, And again, just the witnessing or seeing how that projects onto these kids that are, that are, you know, given this, this special place, this special attention for just being who they are and showing up as themselves. Um, we hear so many kids, and this is a really unfortunate kid thing, that get bullied for being, for, for grieving in a way, for having had a death loss. There was a kid, um, I just heard this, where she said, you know, my my dad, um, or my mom had, was was murdered and no one believed me. And she was bullied for having a mom who was murdered, you know, like, and then, and then how, think about how that would shut a kid down. Like not only if they had that traumatic experience, but now they can't talk about it and they're being made fun of for it because nobody believes that that story could possibly be true. Cause it's, it's such a horrific story. So you multiply that times, you know, every kid has their version of that. And I think, you know, going back to your question, I, I think it is the heart of it is the people and it's the, the purpose that drives each of those people to create such a special experience for the kids. Mm. And it's like, I, I always, and we'll get, I'm going to ask you a question about this later, but I, I always think about the consciousness of the planet and how in a shift, if we were all more loving and more supportive, how like, it's not stagnant. The world that we live in right now is not stagnant at all. I know a lot of times people think it would be take forever to get to a place of euphoria or, or love on the planet or it's not possible, or because how we see it now, we just assume that's how it's always going to have to be and change can't be created, but literally nothing in life is never stagnant. And I just, the consciousness that you created in your camp is one where it seems that everyone loves and supports each other. Everyone cheers each other on. Everyone's rooting for one another. Everyone's there just to, to share space and to just to be kind to each other and to love each other. And if we could take that mentality that you have created in this beautiful space and expand that out to more and more people and for the space that you created there to be in every single office uh, and every single family uh, and every single corner of every single street, if we could create that and have that sense of just wanting to be there to, to just be there for somebody and loving them and caring for them unconditionally and knowing that this person is grieving, but we're all in a sense grieving in certain ways. We're all struggling with things here and there. And just having that thought take over, you know what I mean? And the fact that you've created it there shows that it's possible. Of course it is. It's just dependent on the people who are there and their thoughts about the situation. And we can all change our thoughts to to view each other in a similar way. I, I love that. I, I hope for that too. It's a beautiful thought. You know, I think what um, what is unique to this kind of space, and there's other there's other groups and affinity groups and camps in a similar way. So our camps are very diverse with who shows up, both in race and religion and background and economics. I mean, every single category of identity and situation kind of comes together. But we are naming 
what is the same about all of us. And I think there's something to that, right? Where we already know, I mean, every human you meet, if you spend the time, you're going to be able to find something that you connect on. There's something that will make you the same in some way or connect in some way. We know what ours are because we've selected it based on the type of organization we run. I think that if we can replicate that mindset globally, then that's where that comes from, right? It's understanding, yes, there's going to be things that make us all different. You know, just like at camp, a, a kid who is grieving the death of a mom who died by suicide and somebody else who's, who's grieving the death of a sibling that they never even met because they died before they were born, right? Two very different loss types. And one could say that those kids would have nothing to connect on. Their grief experiences, the person they lost, everything about it is different, right? And that's just talking about grief. And yet they're able to see the similarity. They're able to see each other as like, I get you because we are both grieving, right? So I think if there's a way to kind of not dismiss all the differences, but recognize and still see that there's a similarity, um, I think that's where the goodness comes from. That's where that that connection and the that love comes from. Uh, it's just, it's so good. It's like, it's just seeing the same in each other, understanding at some level, our oneness. And in reality, we are the same. And yes, of course, there's differences between us. In every moment, we have different experiences. But and like, I'm always, I'm always so thankful for that too, because thank goodness we're not all the same. Thank goodness we're, we're different. How boring would life be if we all were exactly the same all the time? So it's like embracing those differences because there's such beauty in that. But understanding and looking for and focusing on how are we similar? How are we alike? as opposed to how we're different. And what you've created there, it seems like you, you've created that idea and that focus more of how we are like, where I don't want to say everywhere, obviously, but it seems like the majority of other spaces on this planet are, well, how are we different? And it's whatever you're thinking, whatever you're focusing on. If, you, if you're focusing on your similarities, how you're the same, you're going to find those. If you're focusing on how you're different, then you're going to find those as well too. So it's really just, it's up. that's why it's so beautiful too. It's up to us. It's what we choose to focus on. It's, it's us. It's nowhere outside of ourselves. And in those just changes of a thought, right? Instead of being like, well, how am I different from this person? Well, how am I the same as them? Yeah. How can we share experiences? How are we similar? Um, it just really changes everything. It changes the dynamic of every relationship of every person's consciousness on the planet. Okay. And it's just being curious, right? Being curious, willing to open yourself up to the conversation, mm. ask a question, you know, what was his name? Yeah. <laughs> being curious. Uh, and what are like, you know, thinking about the camp, I'm so intrigued and it's really just the, again, uh, the area that you've created and the energy that exists there just really has me just like full of hope. Right. And you, you took this very traumatic, very difficult time in these children's lives and you've created something incredible from it. Um, and it just in that thought process, what are some of the activities or things um, that you guys bring up intentionally that you feel like makes like some of the biggest impact uh, on the on the kids there? Oh, I love that question. Um, so there's a few things we do. As I said, our, our camp is, you know, I'd say 80% of it looks just like every other camp you'd walk into with sports and games. And that is also intentional, right? Like we have team sports. There's a week-long competition that we call College League. Kids are placed on a team and they compete throughout the week. Um, 
in different games and sports and you win, you win points and it's, it's just camp. But there's something very intentional about even that where you are part of something. There's a sense of belonging that um, also starts with play. And for kids, handing them a basketball is generally more effective than sitting them down and saying, like, tell me about your person who died. Some kids will reply to that, but a lot of times you kind of have to warm them up just developmentally. That's that's how they interact. That's how they interact with the world. Um, so even just that kind of underlying premise of camp as a um, as a vehicle for openness and for connection is a really important part of it. But then we apply those clinical activities, that clinical element as well. Um, the first full day and the last full day of camp, we do a sharing circle. So each bunk of kids, there's usually 10 to 12 kids in a bunk, sits down with a grief specialist. This is a, a master's level licensed clinician that is assigned to each bunk. So we do have that support there um, really to facilitate peer connections. But they sit down and they say, we're going to talk about your, your people today. You're going to have an opportunity to share your story. And they go around in a circle and every kid has a chance to tell their story in any way they want to. We also encourage them to bring a picture. So some kids are maybe not ready to say the words, but they are willing to say, this was my person and pass that picture around. And a lot of times, especially with the little kids, the last questions, um, you know, they'll say, oh, I, you know, I see you're fishing. Did he like fishing? Or, you know, it, it kind of brings them out, brings their story up. And what's also interesting is so our kids, most of them come back year after year, about 90% will return each year. And that's also by design because of the way a, a child's grief looks at age nine looks very different at 15. Their developmental stages, their grief, their grief experience is going to change over time as their brain changes over time. And it's kind of, you know, child psychology 101, right? Um, but you'll hear, you know, a, a sharing circle with a bunch of nine-year-olds. It can be a little bit uh, more raw in some ways in terms of the details. They like to kind of connect to the details of what happened. And then you kind of move through those age levels and you'll see a sharing circle of 16-year-olds where their rawness is more related to what they understand now about the absence of that person. It's more clear to them that not having a dad, a mom, a brother, whoever that person was, how that's impacting or going to continue impacting their lives and their maturity and their development. So, Anyway, that's the sharing circle. It, it looks a lot of different ways, um, again, depending on age, depending on the group of kids, and depending on the year. And, and something else we see there is that that child's story, as it changes over time, they shape their story over time, each time they tell it year after year, often with the same kids in their bunk, right? So they're practicing it. More details are coming out. Their understanding of it is, is evolving. So they're they're getting to almost rehearse that story. So it becomes part of their overall story. Um, so that's a big one. The sharing circle is um, a really a, a meaningful part of the camp program. An interesting story on that too, in terms of how the kids have helped develop what we do at camp. That first year, 2009, the intention was to have one sharing circle and then we do some other bereavement activities. And a bunch of kids came to us at the end of the week and said, we'd really like the opportunity to do another sharing circle. When we first got here, we didn't really know each other and we didn't say all the things we wanted to say. Can we do that again? And from that point forward, for every year that has followed every program and camp that we've opened, 
That's the model now. We do it once in the beginning and once in the end. And it gives the kids, and we give different prompts. You know, they have the opportunity to tell their story. At the end of the week, we talk about what they're taking with them. But the point is they have that chance to kind of add on to their, their story and the ways that they want to share their grief with their peers. Um, so the sharing circle throughout the week, there's there, each day, there's also a bereavement period where we do different things every summer. We might um, do different things regarding movement or music or writing every, you know, there's different ways that we want to develop coping skills. Um, we'll do things. One of the activities I remember is uh, we had to give every kid a piece of paper and ask them to draw kind of their grief roller coaster. And what are the ups and downs of their grief experience? So they'll draw it out. They'll spend some time writing kind of, and, and then somebody will come over and say, tell me about your roller coaster. And they'll say, okay, well, this is where I was born. This is, you know, here's where I, you know, got VIP on my soccer team, but then my, you know, my person died here. And that was, you know, went, took a big day. And it's putting words to their grief, to their grief experience and their life experience in a way that might help them articulate their feelings. It might connect them to their story in a different way. So that's one way we do that. And there's, I mean, I could, you know, give you a million more of different things we um, have done, but those are just some of the ways that we try to develop their coping skills and give them pathways. You used this word before, which I think is so important. They're pathways to hope. Mm. Their realization that their actions and their beliefs can help change the outcomes. Um, whereas so so many kids, I think when this happens, when this thing that isn't supposed to happen to kids happens, so many feel this sense of hopelessness or loss of control or inability to change the outcomes of their lives. And we want to help them understand that their lives can still be filled with hope. There can be positive outcomes and that there's a mindset and activities and actions and people and connections that can help support and inform that. Hmm. Pathways to hope, like, huh. And um, I saw too uh, uh, on your site, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier. What does it look like after camp in supporting these kids throughout the year? Yep. So that is something we're continuing to build onto. You know, for many years it was we were camp, and we would do some little things here and there throughout the year to keep them connected. We're we're really putting more effort effort and emphasis into that now um, than ever before. Again, in part because silver lining from a pandemic is we're recognizing that we have more ways to connect with kids and they need it more than ever before. Um, but also want to be realistic about meeting them where they are. Where are kids? Well, a whole lot of them are playing Minecraft. So in the last year, we have piloted a program in Minecraft, a moderated server, a safe listed space for kids who are grieving to come and play. It looks just like camp, but in a virtual world. And they come in and they can build um, memorials to their people. They can meet with their friends and share about, you know, the, the fishing rock that they created because their person liked to fish. Or um, there was one kid who said, you built this kind of snow white thing and said, this is, he, this is grumpy because my person was grumpy. Um, so again, giving them a space to develop the language connect with peers and have somebody there who kind of facilitate that for them while focusing on play, while giving them the tools to just, you know, be creative, be playful, be free. It's a distraction. It's an outlet. It's a way for them to continue to cope with their grief throughout the year. 
So we are just getting into the phase two of this pilot, which is the scaling of it. Um, so we piloted it for a week this summer. Now we're building it so that we can offer it to as many people as we can. And um, that's just one of the ways we're going to hope to stay in touch, not only with our own campers, but giving these opportunities to kids who might not be able to or want to come to camp as well. And that's hopefully going to be one of those ways that we build these this broader grief space and community in the country and in the world. Um, again, knowing that we have some space restrictions in terms of, you know, even if there's a um, you know, 100,000 spaces and beds in camps, that this is another way we could reach even more. I think that's just so great and so intentional too, because the camp in itself, I mean, wow. But to really be intentional and not just kind of put on a, you know, a half Band-Aid and then let these kids go for the rest of the year to really look out for them and to try to continue the healing process for them throughout the year, it's, you know, it's just so great to see because you could easily do the camp and then be like, all right, I'll see you guys next year. Uh, but obviously, you know, they, they need a lot more than that for you guys to obviously realize that. But most importantly, besides realizing it, putting in the energy and the focus uh, and again, the intention that you need to do in order just to be there as that support system for the kids all year round. Yeah, so yeah, special. Absolutely. And even just we want them to know we're there, even if they don't participate in some of these activities. They get postcards from us throughout the year that are literally like, hey, we're still here. You know, <laughs> We're thinking of you. Um, so there's those there. We have reunions throughout the year in different locations so that they can see some of their peers. Um, and I think another really, you know, kind of simple yet powerful part is that a lot of them now have cell phones and they connect with each other. And that really is the model for us, right? We are about, we are about the peer support. We are about normalizing grief through the peer experiences, through understanding that they're not alone. So even this something as simple as this group, this bunk started a text group, right? Like that alone, even if they're just kind of pulling out, we call them the invisible strings. It's based on a children's book by Patricia Karst, where she talks about the invisible strings that connect our hearts to each other, even when you can't see them. So we say, you know, give a little pull on that invisible string and you know that that whole network, that whole club of people are out there, um, you know, on the other end of that string. And do you see this just growing and growing? Because you mentioned like a lot of that, you have a great return rate where a lot of the kids are coming back. And I know you've expanded and grown since you started in 2009. Um, but are, is that, I guess just for yourself, like where do you really see, do you see it like doubling and quadrupling, going 10 times bigger or what is your vision uh, for, for the future with the camp? I do. I mean, we're going to keep growing. We're going to keep yeah. adding in different ways. Um, you know, certainly want to keep expanding our camp numbers because I think there is such depth of that experience. And yet, as I mentioned, we also know that camp is not for everybody. Um, and, you know, both culturally and logistically and for all the other reasons, we don't want to limit the, our ability to, to support grieving kids with only having that one model. So I think the Minecraft space is gonna be an interesting one. Um, but also, as I was mentioning, just adding different layers of opportunity to educate the people who work with kids. So we have a whole kind of issue leadership platform, thought leadership platform. We have um, a TikTok account, which is not just social media. It's one of the ways that we are talking to people about grief through, through youth voices, right? So all of our content is the voice of the kids sharing about their experiences with grief, helping people understand that. Um, we have over a million views on that since we started that account in February. Um, we have a documentary that just came out, which is on uh, Brute Media's site, 
which gets 500 million views a month. Like that's the way that we're starting to be able to share globally with people about the experience of greeting kids so that if a teacher sees that, if a caregiver or a parent sees that, a coach sees that information, they're the ones talking to kids on a daily basis. I mean, to your point, we get kids for one week a year at camp. The rest is a sprinkling, but the people who are interacting with them every day, I want them to know what I know because that's going to change that kid's experience in a, in a completely universal and holistic way for their life. Information is everything. And the fact that you're able to, through social media, um, branch out and extend that information to other people, like you said, so that they can use that every single day in helping children and helping that. Like education, that's, you know, coming into this conversation and, you know, knowing about the camp, thinking it was solely the camp and that in itself is incredible, but the, your thought process, taking it globally and really giving out the, the proper information and educating people on these sorts of grief and situations, like that's that's it. That's that's like really it. How you can make such a bigger impact uh, in the work that you guys are doing. Exactly. I mean, even talking to you, right? Like, think about how many more ears and eyes are going to be on this information. Everybody takes that with them in some way. Every time you hear about this, like I said, you can't look away once you know. And if if we can inform you know, however many more people to kind of bring that into their consciousness, into their actions and behaviors, that's the shift. That's where mm. the shift happens. Exactly. And I mean, you're doing such an incredible job with all the kids. Have you ever, I mean, I'm sure you have your hand full with, you know, where you're, just where you're taking everything. Uh, has it ever crossed your mind to do anything with adults in this sort of a situation? Um, A bit. I mean, I will say, we, in some ways, we already do through the volunteer experience. Um, over 70% of our volunteers have also experienced grief of their own. So we know that, you know, many of them are coming, yes, so they can help kids, but also because they're still working through some stuff. And this is a space for them as well. Um, we did an adult grief retreat last summer that we're considering, you know, potentially doing again, potentially expanding. We kind of have to see how it fits in our current priorities, but um, definitely looking at that. And then I think another big part is the, the aspect of, even though our mission is specifically for children, um, how are we supporting the caregivers, the teachers, the adults in order to support the children, right? It's the idea of putting on your oxygen mask first. So I think as it relates to the experience of kids, I think about that more so than providing direct services to adults. Um, I mm -hmm. think we have plenty to do with, with kids for now. And, um, in a, keep our focus on that to make sure we do that the best we can. But I never say never. I mean, this thing, yeah. like I said, I, I thought this was back in 2009. I thought this would be my side hustle. And now it's, you know, a full-time job for a lot of people and definitely a, um, a, a purpose-driven work job, volunteer. You know, there's so many people involved in this that have become lifers, um, obviously, including myself and the way it's, it has uh, informed my own journey. Mm. I mean, and you're already doing so much. And I think just even you doing this, the camps uh, and the things outside of the camps for the kids, at least for myself, and I think in other people too, it's going to spark that thought of, of having something similar for adults. Because literally, as soon as you start talking about it in the beginning, I'm like, these kids get to be with their peers and have this full expression and how much do adults need the exact same thing Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, maybe it is something that you guys will spark the inspiration, someone else to, to do something more in depth with adults and, 
That in itself is incredible, right? Because maybe without you and your, the existence of your camp, I just think what you guys are doing is just is helping to expand this thought and idea of grief, being there for each other and expressing it more, whether you're a child or a, an adult, but just normalizing the idea of us getting it out there and talking more to each other about it. Absolutely. And Sarah, so I want to ask you, so we're circling back to the consciousness of the planet. Uh, and this is the question I ask every single guest, and you're doing such an incredible job. Um, but my goal in, in life and everything really is to have these sorts of conversations and help shift the consciousness of the planet uh, to a place that is more loving and kind and open, vulnerable, accepting and understanding of each other, forgiving of one another, uh, being more connected and understanding our oneness. So. Obviously, you're doing it with the camps with these children all the time. And with that or besides that, how do you feel like every single day uh, you are helping uh, aid in this sort of a shift of consciousness? I think it's these one-on-one -on -one conversations that I get to have around this topic. I mean, yes, as you mentioned, like we're looking to do all these things we're doing as an organization, both serving individual grieving kids and creating a movement, everything you just said. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, having this conversation, you and I have not spoken before today, before this hour. And yet we've just had this really, I would say, really nice connection around our shared values and shared thoughts around how we make the world a better place. And I think it, it happens that way. There was that depth of connection on a human-to-human -human level that then take, goes forward. And I know you're going to leave this conversation and tell somebody else about what we talked about. And it trickles out into this giant web of consciousness, but it happens, I believe, at the deepest levels on an individual connection point. So having those conversations and then simultaneously building the scale, building the systems for those broader conversations, those, those more far-reaching networks to exist. Um, I think it takes both. It's like a top down, bottom up, or inside out, outside in, however you want to think of it, but it has to happen from both, both directions. Amazing. And I said this earlier too, but I, I, I love so much what you're doing in the fact that you are opening the conversation on death, because again, death is something that happens. It's going to happen to every single one of us. Every single person ever is going to die at some point. And not only are we going to die, we're going to experience the loss of someone that we love. And it just feels like we're unprepared. And um, really, I just, that's why I have so much love for what you're doing and, and with these kids and, and expanding it outwards me even more and more, just helping people in that because I don't know really of many organizations or peoples or things that are, are helping in this. And having this thought a lot recently, it's not, I don't want to say that I was losing hope. But it was just kind of like, uh, there's nothing helping this situation. I don't know what to do. So talking to you and uh, really feeling one-on-one -on -one how much this conversation is starting to open up and that there are people out there uh, who are kind of thinking in similar ways as me and that thought of death and, and sharing it more. And the fact that people like you are actually out there doing it is, like, is building you know, the hope and, and uh, the happiness and joy back in me uh, for things like this. Good. And the hope is there. It just takes action, right? It takes each of us doing one little thing. It's not, it's not a huge thing. 
but it, it together it's that's where the hope comes from right that's mm. where the change is going to come from doing those, yep. those little things and when you think about it too it's like it's bizarre to me that it is something that is so common death for us but we something we just don't ever i understand it's a very you know it's a difficult thing to talk about who wants to think about them dying who wants to think about someone they love not having them anymore like i, I get where it comes from but only in the actual conversation and the sharing can like the real healing uh, really come from. And yeah. you guys are doing that, which is just unreal. We are. So, yeah. You. Yeah, it is, it's a privilege too. And it, it is a privilege to share that with you and with your audience and just keep spreading that word, keep spreading that hope. Because really people are going to hear this conversation and it's so wild too that just last night in our, in our call that my friend, again, my friend's parent, uh, mother who had died and how that was really, we talked about that for, you know, close to two hours and then coming right into this conversation the next day is just, um, pretty wild, uh, the synchronicity there and how it's coming up. And it is conversations like this, uh, and people like you that are going to really start to open it up more and more and more and start to make that conversation the norm. Because even, th even thinking about all the kids that you're impacting and, and affecting, they're going to grow up to be adults one day and they're going to come ready with that already. And then they're going to be able to share that with other people. Then they're going to be able to share that with their kids and their friends. And it's going to continue to move outward more and more and more. Exactly right. And then, sorry, just before we cut out, if you can uh, let everybody know where they can find you on social media, where they can find the camp, people, if they want to volunteer, if they want to come, if they're grieving and they want to to join the camp as well, just all the info and on how people can either help or or come there and heal uh, from their yes. grief. Yes, thank you. Um, so our website is experiencecamps.org and our social handles are all at experiencecamps. Um, our volunteer application, our camper application, both go live for new campers and volunteers November 1st. So it's happening. Um, I'm not sure when this is being aired, but please come and join us. Um, it takes the village, right? As I said earlier, it's about the people. And good people know good people. We want to make sure that we are bringing in all the most amazing people to, to do what we do, both the kids and the volunteers, um, and in all the ways that we, um, you know, give opportunities to support. The, these camps, I didn't mention this before, I don't think, but the camps are entirely free to all the kids that attend because we fundraise all year round. So we are privately funded by very generous donors and it, you know, it, it does take money to make all this love and magic happen. So that's another way to get involved, to contribute and to support the efforts that we are making. Um, so time, money, talent, all of it, we'll take it. Um, again, it's experiencecamps.org and we welcome all the good people that can make it, um, make these kids have experiences and lives full of possibility. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say anyone out there who's having even the tiniest, slightest inclination to learn more about this or to maybe jump in and help out, trust that, trust your gut, trust that feeling and trust that energy and just follow that through and see where it can go. Yes. Sarah, thank you so much for being here and just sharing the beautiful work uh, that you're doing. I'm so grateful to have this conversation and, and just help bring more awareness to it. Thank you. I enjoyed chatting with you. This was great. And again, appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with us and being here. We have so much love for you. Cannot wait to see you next week. Bye, everybody.